What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with a man that struck out for the fifth time in a game for the second time all season. Dave Martinson, what's going on, man? Platinum sombrero, dog. Wearing it proud. I would take a platinum sombrero if I got to have Giancarlo Stanton on my team any day. We have a lot to talk about, though, so we're not going to spend too much time at the top. Before we jump into it, if you are listening to this and enjoy what you hear, please subscribe somewhere down below. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a rating and review there as well. Yeah, help us out. Share us with friends, family, spread the word. Follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaPod where we give you content that we don't talk about on our podcast. So yeah, there's a lot of news to kind of sink into. Initially, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the new solo trailer. Anything that stood out to you in that? Yeah, I didn't tweet about it at Martin Swagger. But the more I thought about that, I was like, you know, I definitely was more in on Al Naranike mm-hmm. in the second trailer. Not gonna lie. And the fucking the set pieces and the settings, like I said earlier, looks like original trilogy era. Looks pretty good. Lose film is not releasing a dud. No. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. And also the fact that they're dropping it at cans, at least to me, means that they think that they got something that's worth showing. Because they wouldn't con you normie con, come on right. dog. i mean whatever I, i'll be cans for life dog con whatever and if until they start putting us uh, in like the the press row there i'm i'm gonna disrespect them that'd be the day um <laughs> but solo movie we're in on i'm wondering our guy steven spielberg so he's been doing a lot of press recently we talked about ready player one on last week's podcast find that at soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod he teased a potential future indiana jones movie with a female lead now the interesting thing about the quote was he said we'd have to name her indiana joan which i don't think he understands how names work but <laughs> outside of that how do you feel about a female lead for indiana jones he is going forward with harrison ford for indy 5 which is probably i think they're setting shooting early next year i believe was the plan i for, i think we might have sent a tweet from the pod account about it but after that i mean you obviously know Harrison Ford will be done after that if Indy even survives it, uh, similar to returning to Han Solo for Force Awakens. It's kind of been his uh, vibe. And uh, Deckard and Blade Runner, same thing. Yep. He'll return to his 1970s, 1980s folklore characters if they die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if Indiana Jones was to be a you know, new franchise, I don't know if it's a guarantee, just because there's only been four of them, one of which was bad. So for Indy 6 to do a little reboot, I don't know, like would be re. re- traversing into like terminator territory and or alien territory we're getting a little long in the tooth i don't know but the idea to switch it up with somebody else because i think the sentiment of having like a tom holland or a chris pratt just become indiana jones and reboot it traditionally i think that's kind of passed over no one's really that excited about that idea anymore so to have a you know have a woman in the lead would be cool i think some obvious names thrown out there right now someone who's really hot tessa thompson yeah i mean duh gina rodriguez sure and shout annihilation but someone who i actually kind of noticed when i was reading some pieces about it was karen gillen hmm. she plays nebula yep. in marvel her most notable role but she was in doctor who probably most famously i don't know i could just definitely see her in the role and i thought she was hilarious in jumanji so i think she has the charisma so yeah that's my pick a little off the radar yeah i mean initially you know i hear indiana jones a female lead i think the queen by candor but her being tomb raider kind of yeah it's done yeah, it's done that so uh, i mean tessa thompson seems like a really easy role i mean i would love napita luongo to get 
way more roles. Lupita Nyong'o. Sorry, I just switched her mm-hmm. first and last name. But who was the the person that was in? Her name is Carrie something. She was in the short mini series. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Yes, I feel like and Collateral. Yeah, great show. I feel like she could play a pretty good Indiana Jones because sure. Yeah, the way that she was in that show, but also then kind of mixing in her role from The Great Gatsby, I think that she can kind of play the the charming mm-hmm. side, but also like the serious adventurer side of right. Indy lead. And we, you always forget, Indy was like a, is a professor, Dr. Jones. Right. So that's like a bookish or uh, academic side to the role. So yeah, I think that's a good call as well. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a offhand comment in an interview. It's not like it's even being considered at this point but i thought it was interesting to think about yeah something that's also interesting to think about is your guy jeff bezos dropping one billion dollars for this lord of the Rings show dude i mean there was already a lot of buzz he said that he wants to make this a game of thrones level epic tv show that everybody has to watch but saying that you're going to put a budget of one billion dollars into this puts the pressure on for sure because this thing cannot miss exactly i'm a little worried about it actually now because while we talked about Lord of the Rings, we're not sure how much people are clamoring for more Lord of the Rings material. I mean, it's obviously a very popular IP. I don't know if announcing the budget for this is good or bad. What do you think? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, how many people are even going to remember that or even heard it in the first place by the time the show comes out? You know, it's kind of something. If this thing flops, everybody's going to be, everybody's going to remember that. Oh, of course. Even if the show's at its worst and it has like mediocre characters and a weird plot, it's still going to look amazing and be have like Westworld vibes where the production values are so high that it brings people in anyway. True. But yeah, like you said, because they're spending this much money, it has to be Game of Thrones level zeitgeist grabbing. That's what they're investing in it to be. But honestly, you know, the fact that they're going all in, they're not going to cut any corners with it kind of makes sense because, you know, Middle Earth on TV could easily look shitty. And if you yeah. over-rely on CGI, you get some of the worst parts of the Hobbit trilogy. I'm higher on the Hobbit movies than most people, but there's some garish CGI in there. So you have to really commit. And Amazon, this is their thing, because, I mean, they canceled some of their smaller shows, One Mississippi, and they just canceled Mozart in the Jungle after four seasons. And there was that Reuters report about how they evaluate shows in terms of uh, the cost per stream, in terms of how they evaluate the, the premiere episodes, stuff like that. They haven't had any huge hits. Man, the High Castle, it wasn't as big as I thought it would be getting a third season. I mean, yeah, you know, they're kind of in the Hulu boat where they, they're they still looking for more. Hulu really just has Handmaid's Tale. So, I mean, this show's going to stand out. This show will have the eyeballs, and now they just need to, you know, get it done. But I'm kind of excited to see what they can do because they're not going to cut any corners. I, th- I think that that's a good point. Definitely will be something we're monitoring, especially if it's going to be a show of this magnitude. We'll be talking about it. So definitely subscribe and follow us on our Nostalgia Pod Twitter account. We're going to talk about Cardi B here in a second but before we do last year around this time drake released more life i believe it's end of march beginning of april one week later kendrick lamar drops damn critically acclaimed album a lot of buzz kind of taken away the life of more life so to speak because kendrick's like oh well drake dropped a project here's mine everybody talk about this now your girl cardi b had like i don't know half a day and then drake's like oh here's a heater of a song nice for what Oh, and here's a fucking flex of a music video. Poor Cardi, first of all. That that sucks. But this Drake song, I mean, I kind of out of nowhere, but what did you think? It wasn't one week for Kendrick either. It was like three weeks, but... Was it really? It felt... Yeah, it was like soon. March 18th and like April 14th or something like that. Anyway, point still stands. Yeah, I mean, Friday... You know, actually, like last Wednesday through Friday night when Drake released a single, we just a fucking 
banner run for music releases, just new stuff. Whether it was yeah. like new Lucy's, like a new ASAP Rocky single, a new Amine single, a new Denzel Curry song, a new Rich Brian song, all those albums, one, a few of which we'll get to. And then Drake kind of caps it all off when he had announced it the night before a show that he's releasing a single. And sure enough, he did with the video and with God's plan and nice for what we you just kind of see the tactician that Drake is as the king mm. of the pop world, you know. Yep. And yeah, can you see the strings behind these plays? Of course, yep. bringing them up only makes you look bad because mm-hmm. the songs still slap and like. Yep. They're good and people enjoy them and they make people happy. So I don't know what the point is. He's doing what a pop star does. And the nice for what? A very tasteful Lauren Hill sample, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, the biggest flex is getting all these stud women, many of which are very in demand right now, like Tiffany Haddish and Letitia Wright, getting those women into the video, especially during the Me Too movement, having a song that's lyrically just about empowering women. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a home run. I mean, God's Plan is well on its way to being the biggest song of Drake's career. And... I don't know if Nice For What will immediately become the new number one, but Cardi must be pissed that there's a brand new song ready to compete with her on the charts. Gotta be. Yeah, Drake is just masterful at this point. Whatever you think of him, I've definitely taken my shots at Drake on these airwaves in the past, but he knows what he's doing. He's not messing around. And yeah, I wonder if this song, especially with the music video, will become something that, you know, along with like the Me Too movement, will become something that feminists kind of latch on to and point to. We'll see. I mean, people that are saying that Drake is really empowering to women, maybe haven't listened to his whole discography and the way he talks about women in the past, but this is definitely <laughs> like a positive move forward. So good for Drake, bad for Cardi B, although she did steal some of the spotlight back the next night on SNL. When she performed her song, Be Careful, and kind of put to bed all the rumors that she is, in fact, pregnant, presuming with Offset's baby. I don't know if that's confirmed. But yeah, yeah. Cardi B broke out last year with Bodak Yellow, a song that was on both of our top 10 lists for the year. Invasion of Privacy, dog. What'd you think? Is this a good album, a bad album? What are we talking here? Yeah. And I mean, even though Drake still hurts under, she's still going to have the number one album. Yep. For the next week. And yeah, no, I think it's uh, very good. I don't think it's amazing, but it's better than I expected. Atlantic Records is fucking invested as hell in Cardi B as like their biggest success of all the new signees that they gobble up as soon as they get a buzz. But they weren't going to let this album be bad. Some people were like, ah, be careful. A&R failure. She shouldn't have sung the hook. But, you know, when you listen to the full album, you do, you do see that. Uh, no, they kind of stuck to what Cardi does best. There's a lot of aggressive rapping. It's kind of her brand. It's kind of what made her stand out with Bodak Yellow. But she also dips her toe in some other crossovery stuff, which she had already kind of been hinting at. The finesse remix, that's still kind of rapping, but it's not the style you'd come to expect from her. And then she has that feature on the Ozuna song, La Modelo, where she sings Spanish, sings. So she was kind of teasing the fact that she's not going to pigeonhole herself as strictly a rapper. And, you know, if you listen to a song like I Like It on the new Mm -hmm. album, open to doing other things. But I think overall, it kind of has a lot of everything. I mean, I thought Bickenhead was just the spiritual successor to Bodak Yellow, I guess, in terms Mm -hmm. of the aggressiveness. It closes out really strong with I Do, a great SZA feature. I I think there's a lot of songs to go back to on this, no doubt. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, the two songs you picked out weren't even two of the ones that were probably my favorites. I I really enjoyed Best Life. You know, it's kind of hard to be on a song with Chance and not have him body you, but I think she definitely won the song uh, by far. And then something like Through the Phone kind of showed range, especially in, in what Cardi's talking about. I mean, it wasn't all just braggadocia. She went vulnerable. I mean, be careful, kind of hinted at that, but then Through the Phone 
pretty much openly talked about the controversy with Offset having a video of a woman on his phone. Yeah, I thought that this album was, like you said, good. I wouldn't say fantastic, but for someone who was an Instagram star, what, like two years ago? Uh, to going and making a full-length album. Yeah, Cardi could have done a lot worse, so I gotta give her major props. She's definitely, I mean, do you think she's the best female rapper out there right now? No, I still have to defer to Nicki just because Nicki has more material, more skin in the game. Nicki Minaj has been the top rapper for fucking seven years. And Nicki Minaj can flat out rap too, just because she does crossover songs doesn't, you know, negate that. That being said, Cardi is definitely hotter right now. Uh, Nicki album's expected this year. I mean, the Pink Print came out in late 2015, so it's been a while, especially for someone as famous and as hot as, she, as Nicki is. That's the thing. I, I try. I push back on a lot of hyperbox stuff with Cardi B. It's great to talk about how great she is and how influential she is, empowering women, etc. But to say that she's like the hottest thing in rap, I just think it's disingenuous. I had a friend who made a, a well done video about how like cardi is like the the only one left in the mainstream that's truly like doing like the act of rapping full stop reminiscent of bodak but i'm like mm. you know a no she has the crossover <laughs> stuff already and b right. just because kendrick made love does it negates everything else he's ever done come on <laughs> there's some hot takey stuff going around that i don't agree with but cardi b is not a fluke for sure and right 15 seconds of our long up as she said on the album she's gonna be around a long time and she's open to trying stuff and she's such an open book as a celebrity that everyone's gonna have a lot of time for her still yeah and i i think the hyperbole comes from just how exciting she is as as an artist right now you know she really just like dropped on the scene like fire flames and you know mm-hmm. being a, a female rapper who actually you know is is impressive and has the the ability that she has and showing the range that she did in this album and the experience the way she's able to experiment with things and try things i think there's a lot to be really excited for with cardi but yeah i th- i would agree i think nikki still has has the belt for female rappers but overall i mean there's only good things going on for female rappers right now i would say should have mentioned that there's the allegations of cardi having ghost writers or just paying writers and that's fine Anyone who thought Cardi B was doing all of this by herself, I think, needs to get their head out of their ass. Like, I'm not, I wasn't surprised to hear any of that. Right. And it's also not a problem, but like, the thing that Cardi B is this amazing fucking auteur, why would you ever think that in the first place? She has a great team around her, and there's nothing wrong with that anyway. But just like, no. again, keep it in perspective. I agree. Yeah. So, something I felt kind of hard to keep into perspective in a, in a sense, because uh, they only have one other album out, you guys, Flatbush Zombies. This vacation in hell was a trip to say the least (laughs) they're probably one of the more popular people of east coast hip-hop right now would you say yeah sure in terms of new york rappers that actually rap right yeah i'd agree yeah and their first album 2016's 3001 a laced odyssey what was your take on that did we review that for the pod yeah that came out like a maybe three weeks into the podcast or something mm. like that it was good it wasn't quite as amazing as some of their mixtape material but it was good there's some good songs like ascension and bounce and stuff that play great live i mean flatbush zombies are interesting they've been in they've been around a while because i mean they really broke out they're featured on the song bath salt which was a song on the debut asap mob mixtape lords never worry so they kind of bust on the scene in like 2012 Damn. and then their first mixtape that year drugs with, with all dots on the letters they had Thug Waffle and Face Off, two really big hot songs on the internet. And then they really grew from there with another mixtape. They did some work with the Underachievers. And then the uh, debut album, like you said. And I saw them last fall at the Meadows Live for the first time and definitely bring the energy. But Vacation in Hell, this you know sophomore album, it kind of reminded me of 
a artist we mentioned last week, The weekend. SoundCloud says Dodger Pod, check out a review of my Dear Melancholy. But the reason I was remembering, uh, thinking of it was Vacation to Hell reminded me of Starboy, where it's a long album, too long for its own good, but a lot of great stuff on there. But more importantly, they're trying a lot of stuff on this album, just like the weekend was doing on Starboy. And I think they've definitely introduced at times a more commercial sound on this. I think they're like Joey Badass was open to getting a little bigger, getting a little more mainstream, which sure. I know, you know, which is fine because at the end of the day, they still bring the bars, they still bring the ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I really like this. I think there's a lot of good songs on here. I mean, I totally agree. It, it's hard to kind of, I think, describe the album because, like you said, they try a lot of things. But I gotta say, the first like three or four songs, they have it like a couple of Kanye r- riffs on it or like clear homages. I think they even steal parts from like Jesus Walks and. Mm-hmm. I forgot what the other one was, but I was, I was, it just really caught my ear. And I think that if I were to go back and listen even closer, they probably use other elements from other famous rappers. Cause I think they're, like you said, trying to become a little bit more commercial while also they have infectious flow. Like they all mm-hmm. are really talented lyrically and just in the way that, that they deliver their lines, the cover art for this album, so <laughs> ridiculous, but yeah. Every time I see it, it makes me laugh. And they, they just seem like really interesting artists right now. Yeah, no, they definitely are. And to that point, Michi, Michi Darko, he's the one with the, the deepest, darkest voice. Yeah. And then uh, Eric Ark Elliott, he's kind of in the middle. He also is a producer. He produced like 100% of the early mixtapes too. Like he's really talented. And then Zombie Juice, he's the guy, he sung some of the hooks this time around, more of a lighter, faster flow, like a Bone Thugs guy. Mm-hmm. He actually was someone who was not very good in the early days of Flatbush Zombie. Most people, Flatbush Zombie, most people were like, yo, you guys got to fucking drop Juice. Like he's no good. And he's come a really long way. I'm actually really happy for him because it's good to see, you know, the chemistry they have as people that, you know, boys that have been together a long time, but also the fact that they're all different on the mic. Um, I guess you could say they look kind of like Migos in that regard, where they all bring a different thing to the table really helps them. And, you know, I mentioned consciousness. Listen to one of the uh, deeper cuts on the album, uh, Best American. Definitely would have felt at home on Joey Battis' last album in terms of commenting on contemporary uh, issues. And then... They can just bring you a banger like Headstone, the lead single, which is on our Spotify playlist. Mm-hmm. I mean, Headstone, the second verse that Zombie Juice has where he just rhymes everything together, all these references to Biggie and Juvenile and Immoral Technique and Wu-Tang and all this 90s era hip-hop, just this ultimate homage verse. And I just, I think it's probably my favorite verse of the year so far still just because it's so impressive how well they he put it all together. But yeah, I mean, a lot of songs really like your Real Girls with Bun B I thought was awesome. You and I, the second single is good. Crown, Hell O. Facts, I thought was awesome. They kind of performed that as a flex freestyle before, um, with the you know the Migos ad lib uh, facts, you know, as they keep taking the pause. But uh, mm-hmm. a lot there, and then vacation, I think is fine. That's the one Joey's on. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I really like the last song though with Denzel Curry. I thought Denzel brought that. Denzel was great, but the, I think the feature that stands out most to me, Portugal the Man, dog. That song, I loved it. I really found it to be an enjoyable listen. And that speaks to them branching out into more yeah. sounds. But to do it in a way that you still make a quality song. Very easy to make shit when you're trying to put Portugal the Man and Flash, Flatbush Zombies together. Yeah, and also got a shout out. They did a, it's called Vacation the Mini Movie, where they kind of perform a Vacation as well as some other songs. On You know, it's like a long music video. But it has appearances from Lin-Manuel Miranda, Ice-T, and John Linguizamo. I thought that was very funny. That's pretty awesome. Definitely check that out. Why don't we move on to your guy Saba. Saba, a Chicago rapper. He was on the, uh, the chant song Angels, right? That was him. Correct, as well as everybody's 
something on acid rap he dropped a project uh, same year that flatbush zombies did 2016 bucket list project so this is his second album and i thought that going from an album like flatbush zombies which was very kind of all over the place this seemed like a very focused album and um, seemed like he had some very precise topics he wanted to hit on and he also almost in a way like kind of reminded me of bishop naru in terms of like his songwriting ability it seems like lyrically he was strong what stood out to you about care for me yeah i think you definitely nailed it he's an artist that's very confident in what he brings to the table Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's just embodied throughout the the whole project is pretty consistent in terms of the sound and i mean the lead single life stands yeah, out to me probably definitely. one of the better songs on there yeah it's just exciting to see all these chicago dudes step out of chance's shadow and have their own little lane ever since coloring book in 2016 you've had saba and smino and vic and joy perp and tokyo who we reviewed earlier this tokyo. year and now saba almost the forgotten man in the that like save money crew uh yeah no i i think he's cool because he's not just like a like smino's kind of criticized on black swan last year for being a little like chance light you know what that means in terms of being like a mel- right. melodic you know high-pitched rapper nasally mm-hmm. guy but i think saba you know he, he definitely is there's more singing in there but he also really goes about his bars and i think he does have some good lyrics yeah and you know at t- at times especially like the second half of the album it turned a lot more jazzy almost in a yeah. like untitled unmastered way sure. in places so i definitely appreciated that he seems like i don't know if i if i could see him being like huge but i could see him having you know some some solid albums here or there and being a, an underappreciated artist throughout his career yeah definitely i also like smile and calligraphy and log out with chance i actually really liked prom king it's a long song but i thought the way it kind of changes up and his flow on it just is really good so i'll move on though to the leto brothers favorite project 30 seconds to mars so joker singing to us very anthemic type album 30 seconds to mars has been around since i believe 2005 2002 yep 2002 with their uh, self-titled album and now this is their fifth album america which interesting that they put all the names of the (laughs) band members on the front obviously trying to make some sort of statement about diversity i'm guessing with it became a bit of a meme i don't know if you saw it i didn't there was one where it said uh, doggy and missionary and like all these expositions instead (laughs) that was hilarious i was like that's the real thing at first (laughs) it looked really really good Jared Leto's an interesting guy. No I mean, doubt. We, we've talked about him, you know, playing the Joker, just, you know, he was the villain in Blade Runner 2049. He's, this is where he got big, right? I mean, he was he was in uh, Requiem for a Dream, which I think was his breakout acting role, if I'm remembering correctly. He was in American Dallas, Psycho. Yeah, yeah, American Psycho. Then being Dallas Buyers Club. And he did a lot of acting for a while. This 30 Seconds to Mars kind of took a back seat. It's kind of like Timberlake. Guys yeah. jumps around between his talents. Definitely. And 30 Seconds to Mars had uh, probably The Kill, their most famous song from the past, um, their second song. album. You hate that song? I didn't even listen to this record, dude. I don't like 30 Seconds to Mars at all. <laughs> ah, well, so I wasn't really expecting much. I'm mm. not a huge 30 Seconds to Mars head, but I've definitely checked out their more popular stuff. This album, kind of formulaic from song to song. It builds up towards something big every time, and then there's like that big change up or that big drop and you're mm-hmm. you kind of move towards something bigger and they have asap rocky they have halsey on this just kind of the people you'd expect but overall i mean i don't know if there's anything 
major it's it's solid but not anything to write home about so my question is does it sound like a 30 seconds to mars record like it makes sense as their like fifth album or is it more like how like fallout boy came back recently and just sounds like a totally different band you know i think the only thing i noticed in terms of my experience with 30 seconds to mars which again isn't super deep is they're talking about different stuff than i remember from the past the kill is very like it's a it's a song about like breakups and relationships and just like you know yep. dealing with loss. It's a two thousands rock song. That's what it's yeah, about. Exactly. And but now they're talking about more stuff, living life and being open to each other. I can't really think. less emo-y this time. Yeah, I would say that. And again, it's not anything where I would say run to check this record out. You need to hear it. But if you got forty minutes, throw it on. You'll probably enjoy a couple of songs and kind of find the rest to be mundane. But something that's not mundane at all. The Return of Legion, the weirdest show on TV. Fuck yeah. So obviously brought to you by our guy Noah Hawley, the showrunner for Fargo, director, writer, TV show Fargo, I should say. Dan Stevens back playing David. David Haller. David Haller with his girl Sid and the rest of the crew. So Legion season one, which we talked extensively about last year. Check that out. SoundCloud.com. Ended with the Shadow King played by Aubrey Plaza finding a new person and... David being sucked into an orb and you kind of pick up with some serious advancement where the crew of mutants because this is an x-men ip have kind of created their own sect of the government and, or this government yeah. agency and division led three. by yeah and they're led by this guy with a basket on his head <laughs> and who has three robot women with mustaches that yeah, speak for mo- him modulated voices <laughs> yeah definitely definitely weird this episode pretty much just was setting up the rest of the season obviously because there was a lot of plot development there there's it seems like the plots can go in a lot of different directions uh, especially deviating from last season but what was your favorite moment from this episode i kind of want to start there like you said season one is either famous or notorious for taking the plot and just pinning it to the ground and burying it in concrete at time. Yep. <laughs> and for most people like me and you, that's great. We're watching the show for the creativity and the right. cinematography and the writing and the acting. We're it not watching something different. Like it's great TV that's X-Men adjacent. It's not just great superhero TV. And seeing this uh, season two premiere, you know, kind of brings that home. And like you said, they have just a, a conversation at the lunch table and they give you some exposition about Division Three and how like the X-Men crew, Gene Smart's crew, joined up with them. I was yep. like, oh yeah, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta have two people talk to explain yep. some things, especially in episode one. Good idea. But yeah, I mean, the dude with the bag on his head, like you said, I mean, fucking serious David Lynch vibes in terms <laughs> yeah. of just what the fuck is happening Will I even understand this ever? Does anyone know? But it's cool, and I like it. Like, <laughs> definitely, definitely Lynchian. Also, that dance battle at the end yes. was awesome. I think I mean, the symbolism, <laughs> you can try to talk yourself into a meaning, whatever you need to mean, but God, that was fucking great. <laughs> you know, I was trying to think, like, how many other shows on TV could have something like this, and it just kind of fits? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's another one. Just Twin you Peaks. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, Twin Peaks, perfect example. Yeah, I was trying to, because like, Teddy Perkins this week, which is an awesome episode of, of Atlanta. It's a great Definitely. week last week, dude. <laughs> oh, dude, I mean, Legion on Wednesday, and then Teddy Perkins on Thursday. It was unbelievable for FX. But that's also a strange episode. I mean, you have Donald Glover playing a white guy who's, I don't know, serious get-out vibes. Eccentric as fuck. Yeah, and FX is pretty much just like, 
You want to do weird? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. For some reason, they don't want Deadpool to get nuts. But other than that, yeah, they're, they're down with letting their, their showrunners do what they want. Any predictions for the season or anything that you're hoping to see? I mean, I saw this float around. It makes sense. It totally could be wrong, though. That scene where Sid starts talking to him with, you the know, glow words, things. Yeah, and glow things in the air or whatever. Sid looked different there. And she had the locket that he gave her earlier. So that's introducing time travel, perhaps? The problem with being too predictive on this show is that sometimes the narrative is told very subjectively because David is an unreliable narrator. The show starts out with him just thinking he's schizophrenic. He just assumes he's mentally un- you know, unstable. And then you learn that he's, no, he's actually a really powerful mutant. So it's tough to really know what you're seeing if it's supposed to be taken literally. But there is that possibility that Sid came back. Maybe Sid was the one who put him in that orb thing like from the future. Who fucking knows, dude? He thought he was gone a day. They said he was gone a year. So a lot of gaps to fill. Yeah, I think I'm just hoping, uh, because it seems like they're setting it up where David is going to be trying to help the Shadow King find his body, which uh, means that in some respect, we're going to be rooting for Aubrey Plaza, hopefully. And uh, I'll take all of that. Just give me all the Aubrey Plaza stock in this show. Yeah, after that that Baroque scene last year. Oh, um, yeah. I just want to see her like do her thing. She's fucking great. No doubt. Yeah, her best, the best thing she's ever done by far, and it's definitely one of her lower profile roles, unfortunately. I also thought that um, when he went into that cocoon thing with the water to like mm. channel his powers, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's kind of like Cerebro in the X-Men movies. You know, that's kind of uh. Professor X's helmet that enhances his telepathy. But then because there's water and it's kind of like the Lazarus pits in Arrow where like they sit down and heal. So ah, that's it's like a mo- weird melding of superhero devices. Interesting. I thought the kettle motif from the episode was cool. I'm not sure what it means, but it was making me think. <laughs> yeah, the show just looks really great too. It's yeah. shot beautifully. Just yeah. really jumps off the screen yeah you'll notice like the costumes don't really fit to any one era you know there's like Mm. 60s fashion and 80s stuff you don't really know exactly when the show's taking place except for when they tell you there's so much tender thought and care into this show and in terms of like sure surrealness was probably just matched by atlanta despite how different the two shows are yeah oh totally agree and atlanta i mean we say it every week but still i think the best show on tv just dog lover is fucking master like unbelievable something that also has been very critically acclaimed is the movie death of stalin so armando iannucci the executive producer director writer for veep delivers this basically veep but for russia in the 1950s (laughs) so following obviously the death of stalin kind of tells the story of the political plays to gain control of power in russia and it has 95 percent rotten tomatoes 89 89 out of 100 on metacritic and it was released in the u.s on march 9th premiered uh, i think it's the toronto film festival yeah last like september or something yeah around there this is a movie you told me to go watch so tell me why you enjoyed this movie yeah i mean at the end of the day it's just it's good political satire something you don't get often but it's just a dark comedy you know how like i tanya kind of got criticized for making light of dark stuff well those people should watch death of stalin because this is making you laugh at all the fucking genocides that death of St- uh, that fucking stalin committed yep. <laughs> in the soviet union a lot of people die in this and a lot of us played for laughs and you don't know if you should be laughing but it's funny and the dialogue is fucking absurd in terms of it's like sorkin-esque it's so fast i'm sure it's yep. a lot like veep and then another funny thing i thought was was pretty cool is like like nah we don't need Russian accents here. Jason Isaacs, he can sound like Yorkshire. Steve Buscemi, he can sound like Brooklyn. 
it's cool. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they just kind of let let them do whatever in terms of like vocal. But yeah, the writing reminded me a lot like Veep, and also just in the way that the jokes were delivered. I mean, like you said, it's a serious topic. But I found myself like laughing out loud when no one else in the theater was. Yeah. I think it is the type of movie where people are like, "Ah, oh, this is a really sensitive subject in a lot of ways." But that was really well written and really clever yeah i mean it starts off really early on too where all of the members of stalin's inner circle i forget what they actually called it but like you know khrushchev is in there obviously he eventually becomes the the successor as everyone knows he's like uh yeah he didn't laugh at that one then his wife's like all right no more x jokes like they're making a it's a hilarious moment about what things you should talk about in stalin's present because if you fuck up he's gonna kill you yeah it's not actually that funny but the way they do it's hilarious i mean the whole relationship that Khrushchev has with uh, Bernia, who uh, obviously he kind of becomes the antagonist. It's funny because those two actors could have actually flipped it. Buscemi doesn't really look like Khrushchev. Khrushchev was, he was more like a fuller a fuller man, not like a, a really skinny dude, but I thought it was great. Definitely. Full stop. <laughs> like it, yeah. It's funny. Go see yeah, it. No. It's my favorite movie of the year. Buscemi, I mean, he's a world-class actor and a lot of great things, but mm-hmm. this is probably the best thing I've seen him in, in I don't know, long, long time. Boardwalk uh, Empire, I guess. Yeah, but I think even like the later seasons of that, he's kind of like, yeah, I'm a little, I'm kind of overplaying this. Yeah, I mean, Buscemi was great. I also thought Rupert Friend as Vasily Stalin was just yep. freaking hilarious. Like, he, he checking the whole time <laughs> was great. <laughs> yeah, like when when he was writing the speech, or it, even even before that, the scene where he was like saying like they're feeding him Russian lies, and the, meanwhile yeah. like. Stalin's been dead for like days and he still thinks that like they're putting yeah. American lies into his head. I was just like, well, this guy is so ridiculous. And so yeah. Ridiculous. And the whole thing, like when Stalin actually like has like the heart attack or whatever and is like incapacitated but not get dead, the whole council was like, all right, what should we do? Should we get him help? Well, I don't know. Let's think about that. Like it's <laughs> this whole delayed thing about he doesn't get help for like the next 10 hours, you know? Yeah, and- and every time, like they they go down to like weep by his side, they they kneel down and he pissed himself. <laughs> yeah, and the, a Just great like, recurring bit. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, it it was really so clever. Ayanuchi is really really good at that. I kind of wonder, you know, when we get to the to the end of the year, where this will fall for people. Like, if you had to take a guess right now, do you think this will be like top twenty, top thirty movie for you? Well, it's one right now, and I've it's seen number one right now. Wow, I've, I've seen like fifteen movies this year. What about 12? Wakanda Forever, dog? Yeah, I have that Black Panther and Annihilation <laughs> after it. Yeah. I think it's going to be up there. I think it'll be up there for a lot of people in terms of like total critic lists. Conventional wisdom would tell you it's tough for early movies to resonate, but Get Out recently happened, so tough to say that now. It's weird because it's made by IFC, which is not really much of a film distributor. I mean, this is going to be their second biggest box office hit after Boyhood, and Death of Stalin's only going to make like... 12 million like it's a very small it's in like you know the niche market and didn't get a huge release or anything but it's such a huge success for them it's kind of funny so i'm not sure how many eyeballs will be on this movie especially because it was technically last festival season yeah i, I think if nothing else this will get a writing nomination at the end of the year which yeah. will i think draw a lot of eyes to it around december one other person i just wanted to shout out olga karolinko i don't know if i, I I was like looking at her IMDb. Like she was in Quantum of Solace, which is probably who did she play? She was the uh, the pianist. Oh right, you know, the, the one yeah. who gives him the note that leads to the heart attack. I suppose I thought she jumped off the screen, and I don't understand why she isn't like in more things and sure. bigger movie star. Because not only is she gorgeous, but she just was fantastic in every scene. Definitely a lot of people with heat checks in this movie. So Andrea Riseborough was really good as Stalin's daughter. 
Yep. Uh, Jason Isaac comes in throwing fucking heaters in the third oh act. Like, it's great. Jason Isaac was great. And uh, we didn't even mention Jeffrey Tambor. Perfectly cast. Tambor. Perfectly cast. <laughs> that role was made for him. So definitely check out Death of Stalin. Highly rated here. Highly recommended by Nostalgia Pod. Any last thoughts for the week, Dave? Yeah, I will just got, should mention uh, Jeffrey Tambor was kind of taking off a lot of the marketing material because he shot this role before the obviously stuff allegations, allegations came out around transparent it's it's an ensemble movie so it's not like you're directly supporting jeffrey tambor if you see the movie so i wouldn't let that deter you but they did kind of bow away from that regardless but yeah no i mean thoughts uh, let's see so you saw the paterno movie with al pacino yes. on hbo that came out was it over the weekend i think friday yeah so we'll talk about that next week hopefully the andre the giant documentary from HBO and the Bill Simmons Media Group comes out on Wednesday. The reviews do say that it's very good even for non-wrestling fans. Neither uh, you nor I are wrestling fans, but we're pretty uh, into it. And then Friday, we have Tanache's debut album, sophomore album, whatever it is, Joyride. She's been label hell for so long, and she's really been struggling to get their career like started again. Now she's dating Ben Simmons, and she's released some hot songs. So I'm excited to finally see what actually comes of this album. And on the TV front, the Lost in Space reboot comes out on Netflix. So it's supposed to have really good production value. So maybe I'll check that out at some point. Ben Simmons, The Fresh Prince. <laughs> did you see that Kylie Minogue? I don't know how you yeah. say her last name. Dropped an album? Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> What's your favorite Kylie Minogue? Song. No idea. That one? No. I've listened <laughs> to one of her newer songs recently because it was being compared to uh, fucking Casey Musgraves, but I, I, I'm not really? familiar with the discography. Interesting. Well, you know, she had like those hits back in the day, like Can't Get You Out of My Head. Right. Come on fire yeah that's probably the best one but yeah I, I might check that one out and re- report back we'll see kylie minogue is an interesting artist to me are you gonna see a quiet place the uh box office winner from directed by john krasinski starring him and emily blunt man i'll see it in my home when it comes out because uh paying movies to go be scared or paying money to go be scared well i guess using movie pass to go be scared at this point i don't know if that's so intriguing to me i'm not a horror guy so i'm not gonna watch it but it was the third highest grossing opening weekend for a horror movie ever with over 50 million behind just the third paranormal activity and it. So big I'm pretty success. sure it's still like a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes too. Yeah, it's doing so. really well. Uh, I, I saw Chappaquiddick this weekend, 97. the uh, Ted Kennedy movie. Oh, Jason Clark yeah. was fantastic. Definitely recommend it. Ed Helms is actually pretty good in it as well. Ed um, Helms, damn. Yeah, you, in a serious <laughs> role. You don't expect it. <laughs> no. Who did he play? He plays, uh, what's his name? Garrick Gargan? Gargan? He's like the uh, family friend. He was like the cousin. Uh, but Clark was great. And uh, I also saw Blockers, which is uh, actually a really enjoyable studio comedy that is more earnest and actually has some things to say. Interesting. So good on them. Uh, John Cena was fucking funny, too. So totally, totally satisfied. Yeah, we, we mentioned Tiffany Haddish earlier. I finally saw Girls Trip this weekend, and it was good. I, I mean, I wasn't blown away by it, but Tiffany Haddish just jumps off the screen. My only, uh, my only worry for her. Oh, I also saw Jumanji as well, which was fucking fantastic. Yes, it, it is. It was hilarious. So, so I'm catching up on movies I wasn't able to see. Right. I just hope Tiffany Haddish finds different speeds because I feel like she's just going to become Kevin Hart, where it's kind of like the same shtick. Yeah, she's in that Kevin Hart movie yeah. coming out soon. I was like, all right, I get you get, get the check for that, but don't know how much you're benefited by that movie. Speaking of Jumanji, Rampage comes out this Friday. No interest. I'm expecting it to be better than Baywatch, but not as good as Jumanji. 
And then later, The Rock also has, in the summer, later in summer, he has Skyscraper. Like, they're not even thinking that hard with these titles now. No. Skyscraper. It, yeah, and he plays the same guy in every single thing at this point. So I do like watching The Rock, though. I can't hate. No, The, the Rock is very entertaining. He's electric, so... Only only good things. Also, I don't have it out in front of me. The Arctic Monkeys announced their, their album title. It's in May. It's on our Twitter. Yes, check out at, at Nostalgia Pod, at Sheen World Peace, at Martin Swagger. We're, we're dropping all the knowledge. So yeah, May 11th, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. There we go. All right. <laughs> First one in five years, though. It's exciting. Very exciting. That, that meant 30 seconds to Mars, man. Dropping albums, finally. Just what we were mm. waiting for. But anyways, we're going to wrap up there for this week. A lot of stuff to look forward to. Hit us up at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. Support us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever else you get us. We love you. We appreciate you. Peace out. Yeah.